Nutrition and Physical Degeneration by Dr. Weston A. Price, Chapter 12, Isolated and Modernized New Zealand Maori. Maori. Because of the fine reputation of the racial stock in its primitive condition, it was with particular interest that studies were made in New Zealand. Pickerel has made a very extensive study of the New Zealand Maori, both by examination of the skulls and by examination of the relatively primitive living Maori. He states, In an examination of 2250 Maori skulls, all from an uncivilized age, I found carious teeth present in only two skulls, or 0.76%. By taking the average of mummeries and my own investigations, the incidence of carious in the Maori is found to be 1.2%, in a total of 326 skulls. This is lower even than the Eskimo, and shows the Maori to have been the most immune race to carious, for which statistics are available. Comparing these findings with those applicable to the present time, we find that the descendants of the Britons and Anglo-Saxons are afflicted with dental caries to the extent of 86% to 98%. And after examining 50 Maori schoolchildren living under European conditions entirely, I found that 95% of them had decayed teeth. It will be noted that the basis of computation in the above is percentage of individuals with caries. I am using, in addition to these figures, the percentage of teeth attacked by dental caries. Expressed in percentage of teeth affected, the figure for Pickerel's group would be 0.05 or 1 in 2,000 teeth. We were deeply indebted to the government officials in New Zealand for their invaluable assistance. In anticipation of making these studies, I had been in correspondence with the officials for over two years. When we arrived at Auckland, New Zealand, on our way to Australia, our ship was in port for one day. We were met by Colonel Saunders, Director of Oral Hygiene in the New Zealand Department of Public Health, who had been sent to the capital at Wellington to offer assistance. A personal representative of the government was sent as a guide and transportation to the various Maori settlements in which we wished to make our studies was provided. New Zealand is setting a standard for the world in the care of growing children, as well as in many other health problems. A large percentage of the schools in New Zealand are provided with dental service. A specially trained woman was in charge of the work in each school under Colonel Saunders' supervision. The operations performed by these young women on children far exceeded in quality the average that I have seen by dentists in America. Their plan gives dental care to children 12 years of age and under, provided the parents express a wish that their children receive that care. The service was being extended rapidly to all communities. Since my return, I have learned that the work is being organized to provide for every community of New Zealand. The art of the Maori gives evidence of the great ability and skill in sculpturing. Boys and girls do beautiful carving and weaving. All native buildings and structures are embellished with carvings often in fine detail. It was most gratifying to find neat and well-appointed dental office buildings for both natives and whites, located beside a large number of the public schools throughout New Zealand. In many communities, two or three schools were served by the same operator. Children were either brought to the central dental inf infirmary or provision was made for an operating room in the vicinity of each school. The operator went from district to district. A typical dental infirmary 
is shown in figure 68, with Colonel Saunders and one of his efficient woman operators in the foreground. I had suggested that I should be glad to have observed from the Department of Health accompany us or arrange to be present at convenient places to observe the conditions and to note my interpretations of them. From two to five such observers were generally present, including the official representative of the department. The planning of the itinerary was very greatly assisted by a Maori member of parliament, Mr. Aparana Ngata. We'll move on to figure 68. The New Zealand government provides nearly universal free dental service for the children, regardless of color, to the age of 12 years. This is a typical dental clinic maintained in connection with the school system, shown in figure 68. They are operated by trained dental hygienists. The director of the system, Colonel Saunders, is seen in the picture. Although New Zealand is a new country with a relatively small population, there being approximately only a million and a half individuals, the building of highways has rapidly been extended to include all modernized sections. In order to reach the most remote groups, it was often necessary to go beyond the zone of public improvements and follow quite primitive trails. Fortunately, this was possible because it was the dry season. Even then, many streams had to be forded, which would have been quite impossible at other seasons of the year. We were able to average approximately 100 miles of travel per day for 18 days, visiting 25 districts and making examinations of native Maori families and children in native schools, representing various stages of modernization. This included a few white schools and tubercular sanitariums. Since over 95% of the New Zealanders are to be found in the North Island, our investigations were limited to this island. Our itinerary started at Wellington, at the south end of the North Island, and progressed northward in such a way as to reach both the principal centers of native population who were modernized and those who were more isolated. This latter group, however, was a small part of the total native population. Detailed examinations, including measurements and photographic records, were made in 22 groups consisting chiefly of the older children and public schools. In the examination of 535 individuals in these 22 schools districts, their 15,332 teeth revealed that 3,420 had been attacked by dental carriers, or 22.3%. In these most modernized groups, 31 to 50% had dental carriers. In the most isolated group, only 2% of the teeth had been attacked by dental carriers. The incidence of deformity of dental arches in the modernized groups ranged from 40 to 100%. In many districts, members of the older generations revealed 100% normally formed dental arches. The children of these individuals, however, showed a much higher percentage of deformed dental arches. These data are in striking contrast with the condition of the teeth and dental arches of the skulls of the Maori before contact with the white man and the reports of examinations by early scientists who made contact with the primitive Maori before he was modernized. These reports revealed only one tooth in 2,000 teeth attacked by dental carriers with practically 100% normally formed dental arches. My investigations were made in the following places in the North Island. The Pukarora Tubercula Sanatorium provided 40 native Maori for studies. 
these were largely young men and women and being in a modern institution, they were receiving the modern foods of the whites of New Zealand. Their modernization was demonstrated not only by the high incidence of dental caries, but also by the fact that 90% of the adults and 100% of the children had abnormalities of the dental arches. The Hukarera College for Maori girls is at Napier. These girls were largely from modernized native homes and were now living in a modern institution. Their modernization was expressed in the high percentage of dental carriers and their deformed dental arches. At the Nuhaka School, an opportunity was provided through the assistance of the government officials to study the parents of many of the children. Tooth decay was widespread among the women and active among both the men and the children. The Mahaya Peninsula provided one of the more isolated groups which showed a marked difference between the older generation and the new. These people had good access to seafoods and those still using these abundantly had much the best teeth. A group of the children who had been born and raised in this district and who had lived largely on the native foods had only 1.7% of their teeth attacked by dental caries. The other places studied were Raukakora, Tikaha, Rautoki, Rotorua, Tihoro, Wyomio, Tiahuahu, Kaikohi, Wakarara, Matori Bay, Ahipara, Manukau, Rawena, Alersley, Queen Victoria School at Auckland, and Waipawa. Please excuse the mispronunciation. New Zealand has become justly famous for its scenery. The South Island has been frequently termed the Southern Alps because of its snow-capped mountains and glaciers. Of the 70,000 members of the Maori race living in the two islands, about 2,000 are on the South Island and the balance on the North Island. While snow is present on many of the mountains of the North Island in the winter season, only a few of the higher peaks are snow-capped during the summer. Most of the shoreline of the seacoast of the South Island is very rugged, with glaciers descending almost to the sea. The coastline of the North Island is broken and in places is quite rugged. The approach to the Mahaya Peninsula is along a rocky coast skirting the bay. The most important industries of New Zealand are dairy products and sheep raising for wool. The reputation of the Maori people for splendid physiques has placed them on a pedestal of perfection. Much of this has been lost in modernization. However, through the assistance of the government, I was able to see many excellent physical specimens. In figure 69 will be seen four typical Maori who retained much of the tribal excellence. Note their fine dental arches. A young Maori man who stands about 6 feet 4 inches and weighs 230 pounds was examined. The Maori men have great physical endurance and good minds. Many fine lawyers and government executives are Maori. The breakdown of these people comes when they depart from the native foods to the foods of modern civilization. Foods consisting largely of white flour, sweetened goods, syrup and canned goods. The effect is similar to that experienced by other races after using foods of modern civilization. Typical illustrations of tooth decay are shown in figure 70. In some individuals, still in their teens, half of the teeth were decayed. The tooth decay among the whites of New Zealand and Australia was severe. This is illustrated in figure 71. 
Particularly stri striking is the similarity between the deformities of the dental arches which occur in the Maori people who were born after their parents adopted the modern foods and those of the whites. This is well illustrated in figure 72 for Maori boys. In my studies among, the, among other modernized primitive racial stocks, there was a very high incidence of facial deformity which approached 100% among individuals in tubercul tuberculosis sanatoria. This condition obtained also in New Zealand. We move on to figure 69. Since the discovery of New Zealand, the primitive natives, the Maori, have had the reputation of having the finest teeth and the finest bodies of any race in the world. These faces are typical. Only about one tooth per thousand teeth had been attacked by tooth decay before they came under the influence of the white man. Four pictures are attached. We move, move on to figure 70. With the advent of the white man in the New Zealand, tooth decay has become rampant. The suffering from dental caries and abscessed teeth is very great in the most modernized Maori. The boy at the lower left has a deep scar in his upper lip from an accident. Four photos of four young kids are attached. Next we move on to figure 71. Whereas the original primitive Maori had reportedly the finest teeth in the world, the whites now in New Zealand are claimed to have the poorest teeth in the world. These individuals are typical. And an analysis of the two types of food reveals the reason. And again, four photos are attached. And next we have figure 72. In striking contrast, contrast with the beautiful faces of the primitive Maori, those born since the adoption of deficient modernized foods are grossly deformed. Note the marked underdevelopment of the facial bones one of the result of being narrowing of the dental arches with crowding of the teeth and an underdevelopment of the air passages. We have wrongly assigned these distorted forms to mixture of racial bloods. Four photos of four boys are attached. Through the kindness of the director of Maori Museum at Auckland, I was able to examine many Maori skulls. Two views are shown in figure 73. The skulls belong in the pre-Columbian period. Note the splendid design of the face and dental arches and high perfection of the teeth. The large collections of skulls of the ancient Maori of New Zealand attest to their superb physical development and to the excellence of their dental arches. Two skulls are depicted in figure 73. One of the most important developments to come out of these investigations of primitive races is the evidence of a rapid decline in maternal reproductive efficiency after an abandonment of the native foods and the substitution of foods of modern civilization. This is discussed in later chapters. It was particularly instructive to observe the diligence with which some of the isolated Maori near the coast sought out certain types of food in accordance with the tradition and accumulated wisdom of their tribes. As among the various archipelagos and islands dwe island dwellers of the Pacific, great emphasis was placed upon shellfish. Much effort was made to obtain these in large quantities. In figure 74, will be seen two boys who have been gathering sea clams found abundantly on, the, on these shores. Much of the fishing is done when the tide is out. Some groups used large quantities of the species called abalone, on the west coast of America and Powai in New Zealand. In figure 73, on the upper half, 
A man, his wife, and child are shown. The father is holding an abalone. The little girl is holding a mollusk found only in New Zealand, the toaroa. The mother is holding a plate of edible kelp, which these people use abundantly and do many sea-bordering races. Maori boys enjoy a species of grubs which they seek with great eagerness and price highly. The primitive Maori, Maori use large quantities of fern root, which grows abundantly and is very nutritious. As, as mentioned, figure 74, native Maori demonstrating some of the accessory essentials obtained from the sea. These include certain seaweeds and an assortment of shellfish. It is much easier for the moderns to exchange their labor for the palate-tickling, devitalized foods of commerce than to obtain the native foods of land and sea. Probably few primitive races have developed calisthenics and systematic physical exercise to so high a point as the primitive Maori. On arising early in the morning, the chief of the village starts singing a song which is accompanied by a rhythmic dance. This is taken up not only by the members of this household, but by all in the adjoining households until the entire village is swaying in unison to the same tempo. This has a remarkably beneficial effect in not only developing deep breathing, but in developing the muscles of the body, particularly those of the abdomen, with the result that these people maintain excellent figures to old age. Sir Arbuthnot Lane said of this practice the following. As to daily exercise, it is shown here that every person capable of movement can benefit by it, and I am certain that the only natural and really beneficial system of exercise is that developed through long ages by the New Zealand Maori and their race brothers in other islands, in other lands. The practical application of their wisdom is discussed in chapter 21. The Maori race developed a knowledge of nature's laws and adopted a system of living in harmony with those laws, to so high a degree that they were able to build what was reported by early scientists to be the most physically perfect race living on the face of the earth. They accomplished this largely through diet and a system of social organization designed to provide a high degree of perfection in their offspring. To do this, they utilized foods from the sea very liberally. The fact that they were able to maintain an immunity to dental caries so high that only one tooth in 2000 had been attacked by tooth decay, which is probably as high a degree of immunity as that of any contemporary race, is a strong argument in favor of their plan of life.